Where's this tree going? Man, do I have enough trees in my plot? Oh, that was a really bad tree. Am I gonna make good money today? Man, these flies, can they just get off of my face and leave me alone and stop biting me? And the heat, stop with the sun. You know, I didn't think I'd be so mentally drained and exhausted. People said that, yeah, tree planting's a character-building experience. I'd like to say it's a character-revealing experience because I didn't realize how terrible of a person I was until I was in that situation. You know, tree planters, uh, you aren't prepared for it. You can talk to as many people as you want, but nothing prepares you until you actually go and do it. So why do I go through all this? Why do I give you this picture? It's so that you can kind of understand what a tree planter looks like, what they do, who they are. You know, most of them, yeah, they're pretty strong. They're usually really dirty, and they're usually really cynical. Uh, One time, we went into this hotel. We had a couple days off, and my crew and I, we hadn't even showered. We didn't come from the block or anything. We walked into this hotel, and the manager picked us out. He's like, you guys are tree planters, aren't you? What? Serious? And then another time, we had a Sunday off, so five of us on our crew, we went to church, and so we're sitting in a couple hundred people, and then the pastor, he's doing announcements, all of a sudden he looks out, he's like, you five, you tree planters? We're like, seriously? We actually showered today, like, how'd you do that? But they could pick us out. They knew what we would look like, and they picked us out and said, hey, why don't you come for lunch? That was great. So anyways, um, that's what a tree planter looks like. But today, being Mission Sunday, I want to look at what three marks of a missionary are. You know, you're not a tree planter until you actually do the work, until you watch your foreman, until he teaches you what it looks like, and until you actually get dirty, until you actually get out there and planting trees. What does it look like as a missionary? What does a missionary actually look like? So many times we think, oh, a missionary, somebody who goes overseas, who gives their life, who shares the gospel with people, who leaves their family, leaves their friends, leaves their church, and they just give everything to share Jesus with other people. And yes, that's a missionary. That is a missionary, but that's just one type of missionary. That's just part of the picture of what a missionary looks like because Each and every one of us who knows Jesus Christ as our Savior has the Holy Spirit living within us. We are all called to be missionaries. Where we're at, we are called to be missionaries here in Red Deer. So what would it look like if we were actually marked as a missionary? What does that look like? Would people be able to pick us out and say, you're a missionary, you're you're a Christian, you know Jesus, there's something different about you. Is that true of our life? So we're going to look at what the three marks of a missionary are. And before we get into it, I just got to say, I've never been overseas on a missions trip. I've never gone on a short-term missions trip, and yet I'm leading a team of youth down to L.A. I feel totally inadequate. I've never done that. But... I have desired that every day of my life would be lived out as a missionary where I'm at. Do I fail all the time? But do I want to be marked more and more as a missionary? You betcha. And I pray that that's what our cry this morning would be, that God, would you mark me as a missionary? Can you make me more like you? So the passage we're going to be in is Matthew 9. If you want to flip there in your Bibles, Matthew 9. Uh, verse 35 to 38. And as you're flipping there, just a bit of background. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's one of four gospels or eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. 
So Matthew, he was one of Jesus' disciples. He witnessed a lot of these things, and he tells them firsthand. So Matthew, in this section, it's kind of the end of a section. It's an the end of an inclusio is what they call it. So it starts in chapter 4, verse 24, and it, sometimes writers would use a specific phrase or paragraph to kind of say, hey, I'm starting a new section, and then they'd use that same phrase to end the section. So that's where we're at, is the end of this section. It's kind of like a play, right? You've got your, your scenes, and you know when the beginning and when the end is. So Matthew's saying this is the end of a bunch of different powerful words and deeds that Jesus has done, and then we're going to trans... Trans, transfer <laughs> into another, another section of Jesus' life and his ministry. So Matthew 9, 35, as we look at the three marks of a missionary, we're going to look at Jesus' life and then what that does for us, what that may, means for us today. So Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Maybe some of you are thinking, um, Amy, I'm not like that. I can't go to every city and every town and preach and teach. I can barely say, I'm a Christian. Amy, I can't, I can't heal somebody. I can't do that. How, why are you asking me to do that? Why are you saying that's a mark of a missionary? Well, none of us can. None of us are Jesus, but we're called to be like Jesus, right? And last week when Pastor Paul said, maybe that's the problem, that we're not like Jesus. But he wants to make us that way. He wants to change us and transform us and mark us every day to be a missionary. How did Jesus do these things? How did he actually walk out in that power? How did he teach? How did he preach? How did he heal? It was through spiritual authority. In this passage, from chapter 7 to chapter 10, actually, authority is mentioned five times. In the book of Matthew of 28 chapters, it's mentioned nine. So half of those times, over half of those times, are within four chapters. Authority is a big deal in these couple chapters. Because Jesus is setting a foundation for his ministry, that he's walking out in authority, and then he's going to call us to walk out in authority, marked as a missionary. Okay, so this is how Jesus did this. Um, if you go to a couple of examples, at the beginning of the chapter, there's a paralytic. So Jesus is teaching in a house. He's there, it's packed, people are in there. And these four guys hear that Jesus is there and they're like, man, we gotta get our friend who's paralyzed in to see Jesus because he needs to walk. But they can't get into the house. So they think, okay, I'm gonna dig a hole through a roof and then lower our friend down. So that's what they do. Pretty unconventional, but they do it because they're desperate. So they lower their friend and there is this paralyzed man before Jesus. There's this huge crowd and everybody's waiting. What's Jesus gonna do? Is he able to actually heal a paralyzed man? Is he able to do this? And I love Jesus because he does things way beyond what we expect. He looks at this man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. What? Well, that's not why we came, Jesus. We came so he could walk. You know, his friends are probably thinking, what? That wasn't what I was expecting. And some other people, the religious leaders, the Pharisees were sitting there and thinking to themselves, who is this man? Only God himself can forgive sins. He is blaspheming. Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, knows what they're thinking and he calls them out and he says, why are you thinking evil thoughts? 
Why are you thinking those things? Which is easier, I ask you? Which is easier to say either, friend, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? And then he says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has, what? Has authority to forgive sins. He turns to the paralyzed man and he says, get up, take your mat and go home. And immediately, that paralyzed man stood up in front of this crowd and walked home with his mat in arm. Our God gives Jesus authority in, <laughs> Jesus is God, but there's this crazy like Trinity thing that none of us will ever understand. And Jesus is God, but he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God the Father gave him authority because in verse eight, it says, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. They recognized Jesus, your authority came from God the Father. This isn't of your own doing, it comes from God the Father because so many times we like to think that, well, Jesus, he was God and he just walked out in God and so none of us are God so we can't do the things that Jesus did. But no, what does Philippians 2 say? It says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is what Jesus did. He set aside his divinity. Yes, he was 100% God, but he walked as a 100% fully man to show us what it would look like for you and for me to walk in spiritual authority through the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him and the Father said, this is my son whom I love with him, I'm well pleased. And then he walked out that mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. He did that as an example for you and for me. And I love that Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says, which is easier? Is it easier to say get up and walk to a paralyzed man or to forgive his sins? Because I'm pretty sure Jesus, it was a lot harder for him to forgive this man's sins because he knew what it would cost him. He knew that it would cost him everything as he died on a cross, which is what he was going to do. This is who our God is. But yet he says, I'm gonna forgive your sins because I'm gonna die on that cross because I love you and I'm gonna take up my life again. And then I'm gonna give you that authority to go and to preach boldly, to heal the sick, to do likewise. It's not just like Jesus said, okay, now do my mission without any help. He gave us himself to help us. Because in chapter 10, if you keep going, right after the text that we're in, verse one of chapter 10, it says, he called his 12 disciples to him and gave them what? Oh, he gave them authority to do what? To drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and sickness. That kind of sounds like Jesus' ministry done through the disciples. This is what Jesus opened up for us. He said, okay, I've done it. You've watched me. Now you go do it. Sometimes we think, well, that's just for the apostles. That's not for us. But in Luke's gospel, Luke says, yeah, he sent out the 12, but then in the next chapter, he sends out 72 people. And then in Acts, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, and then you will be my witnesses. And then in chapter four, Peter and John are going into the temple and they see this cripple and they say, hey, look at us. And this cripple looks up and they say, I don't have money, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus, be healed. 
They walked in that spiritual authority that Jesus had given them, that God had given Jesus and then Jesus gave to us. Even the Great Commission, how does it start? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the verbs in that, they're passive. So it's saying that God is the main subject acting out that authority through Jesus. That's the same for us. The first mark of a missionary that we see in Jesus' life is that he walked in spiritual authority. And he has called us to walk in that same spiritual authority to continue Jesus' mission. And can I just say really briefly to the men in here, you know, so many times the culture in our society says that being a Christian or walking with Jesus, it's really quaint, it's really weak, and it's really timid, and you're not a man if you do that, but that's a lie. Because this is the most intense life that you can ever have. It's a life of adventure. It's a life of power, of authority, and of victory. And it is the best life that you can ever experience. It is not weak. It is a powerful, authoritative walk. It is a manly walk. Women, we can step up into that too. It's for all of us who know Jesus as our Savior to step into that spiritual authority. So what would it look like here in Red Deer? Maybe it's power to actually pray for healing and believe that God can still heal. Maybe it's power to be bold at school and to stand up for someone who's being bullied. Maybe it's saying, yes, I am a Christian and this is why Jesus has changed my life. Maybe it's inviting somebody out for coffee and sharing the gospel with them. Maybe it's starting an alpha group in your workplace Maybe it's starting a prayer group at your school. Maybe it's speaking about your faith in a public, spe- public speaking environment. Toastmasters, I know Mark has done that. I did that when I was taking Toastmasters. This is who I am, I love Jesus. He's changed my life, he marks my life. Some of us, maybe we're thinking, God, I'm not bold. I don't have that authority. Well then ask. Ask him for it because he longs to give it to give that authority to us, his disciples, his missionaries who are called to carry out his mission. So the first mark, like we said, is spiritual authority. But why did Jesus come in the first place to walk in spiritual authority? Why did he come to earth? Why would God leave his throne to come to earth and walk amongst our mess? It's because of his love. Because God loves us. So Jesus, um, in verse 36, if we keep reading... It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had this deep compassion for the people as he looked out. He saw his people that he had created, that he loved, and he had this deep compassion. And one of the commentaries says that it's to feel deep sympathy. Another commentary says that the basis or the foundation of Jesus' mission was compassion. And what is compassion? It's a strong word for an emotional response that always results in caring action. It was interesting, yesterday I was just reading a book by Max Licato and he actually was talking about this passage. And I was like, oh, this is interesting, thanks Lord. Um, and he says that this word compassion, it's to be, it means to be moved in one's bowels because the bowels were the seat, in the ancient times they thought that the bowels were the seat of love and pity. 
So basically, Max Licato says, it's like Jesus got a kick to the gut. He was so hurt by watching his people who were harassed and hopeless and helpless. See, Jesus' love compelled him, prompted him in compassion, which led to action. This is who our God is. Our God is an intimate God who comes and still meets us in our mess. He comes to meet us because he couldn't bear to be without us. He came to earth to die on a cross because the wages of sin was death. And he said, I don't want to live without you guys. I don't want you to live an aimless and purposeless, meaningless life. I want to come and give you life. Life to the full, life abundant, here and now and eternal. I'm going to come, I'm going to pay that penalty, I'm going to be that spotless, sinless lamb, and I'm going to hang on a cross, all because I love you. This is what our God did. This is who he is. He is love. And it moved him to compassion, and it moved him to action. You know, he looks out and he sees that the sheep, his people, were harassed and hopeless, purposeless, meaningless. How many people in Red Deer are kind of like that? Living without purpose, without meaning. Living just for the next vacation. Living just for money, for pleasure, for materialistic items. Living for a beautiful house or their, just their family. Just to wake up one day and realize that they missed the boat. They missed the point. That's not the point of life. And now life is gone. How many people are living that way? That's why Jesus came. He came to give hope. He came to give life. He came to give life abundant. This is who Jesus is. You know, um, this analogy of the sheep and the shepherds, in the Old Testament, this analogy is used a lot. And God, in the Old Testament, he set up different kings and rulers when the people had asked for a king. So he said, okay, I'll give you a king. And they were supposed to be like shepherds. They were supposed to care for the sheep, care for Israel, lead them in a way that they would honor God, that they would glorify God, and that they would be a light to the nations around them. But in Ezekiel, we read this indictment against the rulers, against the shepherds. It says, why, why did you not rule selflessly. Rather, you ruled selfishly, and you took advantage of my people, and you led them into idolatry, and that led them to exile, and that led to death. You've done this to my beloved people. But God continues on, yet I will come, and I will care for my people. I'm going to come. I'm going to do it. Since you didn't, you weren't a good shepherd, I'm going to come and I'm going to gather them. I'm going to gather the brokenhearted. I'm going to gather those people who are, who are hurt and lonely and wandering and hopeless. And then he continues on in Ezekiel. And he says, there's going to be a Davidic shepherd. There's going to be a shepherd, one who's going to reign and who's going to establish a covenant of peace. And who is that? That's Jesus. Jesus is our good shepherd. When we read in John, in John 10, and Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down by myself, but I will also take it up. Jesus loved us to such a crazy extent that he died for us. He gave everything for us. 
He is our good shepherd, the one who wants to care for us, the one who wants to provide and protect us, who wants to give us a purpose and a meeting. This is who our God is. And love is sacrificial. You can't say I love you without doing something about it. Jesus gave up everything. We read in 1 John 4, and it says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. God loved us incredibly. This is a mark of Jesus' life, and not only on the cross, but every day as he was journeying towards the cross, he walked out in love and compassion. A couple examples, even from this chapter. Once again, back to the paralytic. I love that Jesus isn't conventional, and that he doesn't just address the need that we think needs to be addressed. He sees past circumstances, he sees past boundaries and walls, and he reaches into the deepest depths. He sees the deepest need, and he saw this paralytic, and he knew, yeah, you have physical ailments, but there's a deeper need. You need to be set free deep within. You need spiritual healing. You need to come and get new life from me. And he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus reaches past. He sees past. I long to be somebody who sees past the circumstances into the deepest need to love on those people who need that. You know, another example, um, just from this passage, right after that, he goes and he sees this guy, Matthew, the one who wrote the book, and he says, hey, Matthew, come follow me. Now, Matthew, he was one who was despised by his own people. He was a Jew, but he was seen as a traitor because he was taking money from them for the Romans. So he didn't fit in with the Romans, but he didn't fit in with the Jews. He was an outcast. He was despised. Nobody liked him, but Jesus looked past those walls, looked past that stigma, and said, Matthew, I want you to follow me. Matthew said, finally, somebody sees me. And he left everything to follow Jesus. And I love it. Later, Matthew invites him and he's like, hey, come and eat with us. And, and so Matthew's friends, he had a, a bunch of sinner friends. You know, he had more tax collectors and more prostitutes and all these people who are disreputable sinners and people that you're supposed to judge and shun and stay away from. There's Jesus sitting with them, valuing who they are, meeting them in their mess offering them new life and new hope. I love that. Later on, the Pharisees say, why is Jesus eating with these people? Does he not know that they're sinners? Jesus looks at them, though, and says, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Healthy people don't need a doctor. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinner to revive and to restore them. And then he says this to them, go and find out what this means. I desire mercy rather than sacrifice. I desire love and compassion rather than religion. It's not okay to just come every Sunday and sit in a pew, that's religion, but if it changes us to move every day of the week in love and compassion, then we're marked as missionaries. Are we just coming to fulfill a religious duty? Or are we coming to be changed by the Holy Spirit who wants to then push us out to love the people around us like Jesus loved them? This is a mark of a missionary. This is who Jesus is. And maybe some of you don't know Jesus today, but maybe you're desperate and you're thinking, I'm hopeless. 
I have a bunch of baggage in the past. I've messed up so many times. I need new life. And I long for Jesus to look at me like he looked at that paralytic and said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Or maybe you're like Matthew and you're an outcast and you're just begging and you're longing for Jesus to look at you and to see past those stigmas, past what people put on you, to say, hey, I see who you are. Come follow me. I'll give you new life. If there's some of you in here today, I ask you, I implore you, I I ask that you would open up your heart and let the love of Christ overwhelm you because he has great things in store for you. He loves you so much, he died for you. This is who our God is. He was marked by his love and compassion. Are we marked by his love and compassion? At the Last Supper, Jesus sat down in chapter 13 of John, and he said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Again, in chapter 15 of John, Jesus says, go love one another as I have loved you. And how did he love us? Then he says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus loved us sacrificially, And he calls us to be marked as a missionary to love other people sacrificially. People who are loved, love better. They love without restraint because they know I am valued. My value has been been exposed and somebody sees it for who I am, sees me for who I am. And they have less restraint and they don't hold back from sharing love with other people. You guys... As Christians, we've experienced the love of Jesus, God Almighty, loving us. That should mean that we are the best lovers here on earth. So are we? You know, there's this YouTube video, Pendulette. He's a, um, a magician down in Las Vegas. And there's this YouTube video that he put out. And he tells a story about how one day after a show, he was hanging out and this guy comes up to him and he's like, yeah, this guy was super nice. Like he was a businessman, normal, uh, but just really kind and genuine. He was telling me how great my, my show was and that he really enjoyed it. And then this man says though, or hands me this Bible. He hands me this Bible and said, man, I just want to give this to you. And Penn is saying, man, like this guy was a legitimately good guy. He was really nice, really genuine and kind. And he hands me this Bible and Penn continues on saying then to people of faith, he's an atheist, he doesn't believe in God. But he says this, he says, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell or not be getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling him this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? To believe that eternal life is possible and not tell them that. He cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a Bible with a little note inside. This guy set aside social awkwardness to offer pen a Bible and to say, hey man, I actually love you. There's more to life. How much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize, to not tell them about Jesus? That hit me hard. Because I think I've hated way too many people. And I want to stop. I want to be marked as a missionary who loves people enough to tell them about the gospel, to tell them that there's true life in store in Jesus. I want to be marked by his love. 
We're called to be marked with his spiritual authority and with love to fulfill his compassion so, or to fulfill his mission. So what would it look like here in Red Deer as a missionary walking out in love? Maybe it's giving financially to those in need. Maybe it's giving time and going down to loaves and fishes or potter's hands or battered women's shelter or pregnancy care center or the Magdalene house. Like maybe it's just giving time to people. Maybe it's writing a note of encouragement to a teacher, a student, or a coworker. Maybe it's shoveling somebody's lawn. Maybe it's lawn, mowing or shoveling, seasonal, you know. Um, <laughs> maybe it's helping a mom in a grocery store. Maybe it's just giving a kind word and saying to somebody who's looking downcast, you know, you're, you're really beautiful or you're a great dad or like, are you doing okay? Maybe it's just entering into those untalkable, unspeakable issues that are going on in life when somebody has, is facing a terminal illness or going through a divorce and actually entering into that and asking that awkward question, how are you doing? Actually. You know, Max Licato, in this book that I was reading, he shares a story about this woman who is going to share her story, a little bit of her story at this leadership summit, about how her son had been on the streets for 20 years. She had had minimal contact with him, and her heart broke as a mom. And so Max is asking her, why are you willing to share your story? And she says, I'm sharing it so that people may see homeless people not as problems anymore, but rather as some, a mother's son. I long to be changed, to be marked by compassion and by love that sees past circumstances to the deepest need and to just love on people. I want to be that person. If we're not those people, maybe we would need to ask for more love. God, give me love. Open my eyes to see the unseen. Show me what this is supposed to be like. If I can move on briefly to the third mark of a missionary, we have spiritual authority, we have love, and then the third one is willingness. Are we actually willing to get dirty? If we keep reading in verse 37, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out more workers. What does the harvest is ready even mean? Like, what is Jesus talking about? First, he was using this analogy between sheep and shepherd, and now it's the harvest is ready and plentiful, and we need more workers. Um, I'm from Saskatchewan. I, I don't really like Saskatchewan. I'm glad I'm in Alberta. But I do like going back there in July, because I find Saskatchewan really beautiful in July. So in July, if you, if you get off the number one, that is, uh, on the back roads, you'll see this beautiful purple flax field in contrast with the yellow canola and then this bright blue expanse with fluffy white clouds above it. It is incredible. Or I love going running on the back roads and beside the sea of grain rippling in the wind. It is beautiful. And during the harvest, you'll see combine after combine after combine working all hours of the night. So many farmers get a couple hours of sleep during the harvest because they don't want to lose any of their crop. They don't want any of it to go bad. They don't want it to spoil. They don't want to lose it to rain or to freezing or to whatever, to snow. They want to get it all off. So they work hard. They work earnest. So Jesus here is saying, the harvest is ready. So it's time to get out the combines. It's time to work hard. Why? Because people are ready for the gospel. 
People want a hope, people want a purpose, people need somebody, need Jesus to fill that void that they're trying to fill with so many other different things. They need Jesus. So I love that Jesus says, the harvest is ready. It's ready, people are ready to hear the gospel. He continues on, he says, the the harvest is also plentiful. When a farmer knows that a big harvest is coming in, he gets more hired hands because he doesn't want to lose anything. He doesn't want any of it to go bad. And here in this text, Jesus says, I need you to ask the Lord of the harvest, ask the boss for more workers. When do we usually ask for something as an employee? It's only when we feel the need because we're actually getting dirty, we're actually doing it. So many times I realize that I don't ask for more workers probably because I'm not doing it. I don't feel the need like I need to. I need to get out there. Jesus is asking, are you willing? Are you willing to get your hands dirty? Are you willing to go love sacrificially? Are you ready to go and walk in authority? Are you willing? I I think of Isaiah when God, when he is confronted with Yahweh, and he says, whom shall we send for us? And Isaiah sticks up his hand, he says, here I am, send me. And I pray that this congregation would be full of people who are willing to stick up their hands and say, here I am, send me. I wanna be willing, I wanna walk in your authority and I wanna walk in love, even if that costs me everything. Because the harvest is ready, it's plentiful. And it's funny because in this passage, right afterwards, you jump again to chapter 10, verse one, and what is the answer to this prayer that they're called to pray? They're part of the answer. They're the ones who are actually going out and doing it. Jesus sent his disciples, he sent us out And as we're doing that, and as we reap a harvest, as people get saved and come to a living life in Jesus, as people get saved, then they're enlisted to be workers in the field as well. We're part of the answer to that prayer of more workers. But we first gotta be getting our hands dirty. To be noticed as a missionary, to be marked as a missionary. Are we willing though? You know, briefly, if I can just touch on the Great Commission. So many times on Mission Sunday, we'll talk about the Great Commission, which is awesome. I love the Great Commission. But in our English, a lot of the times we'll look to the imperative of go. We think that's a command. We think we're supposed to go, go overseas. But it's not in the Greek. The main command, the imperative verb in the Great Commission is to make disciples. That's supposed to be the outcome of our lives. The other three verbs, the go, the baptizing, the teaching, those are all, this sounds really technical and I'm still trying to wrap my head around Greek, but they're errorist passive participles, which basically means something has happened in the past that marks me today. So how we could translate the go is this, as you are going or having gone then, make disciples. You will make disciples. That'll be a natural outpouring of your life as you go, as you go in love, as you go in authority, this should be the natural outflow of your life. Because we're not the ones who save people, 
We can't make a soul ready to hear the gospel. I can't cause somebody to grow necessarily. That's all God's business. God is the one who makes a field ready to harvest. In the Old Testament, that's how it always was. The growth, the harvest season, that was always given to God's glory. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't make the water come. They couldn't do any of that. It was all on God. Same with the human life, coming to Jesus. What we're called to do is to share the life, to share Jesus with people. I don't know how many people you will lead to Christ. Maybe it'll be one, maybe it'll be hundreds. But we've all heard last week that the power of one person can change a community, like the Samaritan woman. Who knows if the one person you lead to Jesus ends up being the next Billy Graham? Who knows if 20 years down the road after you've planted the seed, that person finally comes to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is? We're just called to love people. We're called to walk in authority. We're called to be willing. Are we marked as missionaries to do that? It's not us. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. It's God's business. But he asks us to take part in it by loving and walking in authority. So Jesus asked, are you willing on that day? And he's asking that today. Are you willing to get your hands dirty? Are you willing to enter into his mission field? What would it look like every day if we actually jumped into our car and prayed about the mission field we were entering that day? What would it look like every day if we asked for more workers? I think we'd have more opportunities and we'd feel the need more to ask for more workers. You know, that video that we watched before the service, they are doing this day in and day out. And I almost envy them in a sense, even though they have given up so much and it is lonely a lot of the time, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters overseas and in other parts of the world who are sharing the gospel with people. We need to pray for them. We need to encourage them. But I almost envy them in a sense because their whole purpose for being there is sharing the gospel. If they're not doing that, they might as well come home. Well, that should be the same for my life here in Red Deer rather than getting comfortable. My whole purpose for getting up in the morning should be to share the gospel, to glorify God's name. This has been challenging for me to put together because I'm like, Lord, I need to be marked more. I need more authority. I need more love. I need more willingness. So would you come upon me? And that's my prayer for all of us today. So if you wouldn't mind standing. And just a story to close with. One of my friends, she went to Spain a couple, back in January for two weeks. And this girl is incredible. She went to go see her sister who's a full-time missionary there. She was sharing, it was awesome, Amy, to see what God's doing there. And then her and her husband went down to Kenya to work with a missionary down there that they've been to the Rafa House of Prayer for a couple of different times, for months at a time. And so my friend is sharing. She's like, it was awesome to see what God was doing but I couldn't wait to get back to my mission field in Red Deer. She's a nurse, she's not a vocational minister. And then she starts telling me what God's doing about how one of her coworkers who has been separated for her, from her husband for eight months just got back to, 
together with her husband is now going to church and going to a marriage course. That is a miracle. Why? Because my friend is willing to be marked as a missionary, to walk in spiritual authority, to walk in love, and she's willing every day God use me. That is my prayer that we would all be missionaries here in Red Deer. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe some of you today are thinking, I need Jesus. I've never experienced his love and I want him to pierce through the, that wall and that, those circumstances and I long for him to touch out and say, friend, your sins are forgiven. If that's you today, if you've never experienced Jesus' love or accepted him as your savior and you want to, I'd encourage you to raise your hand. Awesome. And there's no certain formula to that. The only thing, just lay out your heart before God. Say, I'm a sinner. I've messed up, but I want to be new. Thank you for dying on the cross, and I accept you as my Savior. I want to make you my Lord. Come and dwell within me and make me clean. And Jesus will. And if you pray that prayer today, I encourage you to fill out one of those attender cards and mark I became a Christian. I made a commitment to follow Jesus today. Do that and we'll call you this week. Maybe others of you have walked with Jesus for a really long time, but you're thinking, I need to be marked as a missionary. I need spiritual authority. I need love and compassion. I want a willing heart. If that's you today, I'd encourage you to raise your hands and we're gonna pray for you. Awesome. Awesome, let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you that you're good. God, I thank you for who you are and what you've done. And Lord, I just pray that you would come upon each person in this place. Holy Spirit, that you would do a supernatural work in us. And God, that you would open our eyes, that you would cause us to be willing when we're not. Lord, that you would empower us to walk boldly with spiritual authority that you have given us. Lord, I pray that you would empower us to be your missionaries here in Red Deer and that this city wouldn't know what hit it. That they would just see things closing down and things springing up because people are coming to know you, Jesus, because we are marked as missionaries and going forth from this place. God, may you encourage each person here. May you bless them and may you go with them. Father, may this be for all of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.